Hi there and welcome along to Africa's Biggest Football Bra. You're listening to the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host, Nabi, and boy, oh boy, are we pumped up because the World Cup has delivered so many surprises. Joining me are two of African football's finest minds, Courtney Fries and Alistair Howarth, and we're going to be chopping it all up on this podcast as we review and look ahead during the group stages of how the African teams have performed. There have been such exciting games. My blood's been pumping my pulse has been pumping at an even higher rate. How are your pulse rates doing, Courtney and Alistair? Feeling happy. I've, I'm feeling very vindicated as well as someone who's been preaching the, the way of Morocco for the last kind of year or so, backing them when, when probably I shouldn't have as well. But they're, they're coming good for me today with the brilliant, brilliant win over, over Belgium and completely deserved it as well. This was, this was not an upset. Let me tell you, this was not a kind of big shock. This was one team playing better than the other. Well, you had to go there, and that's where we are naturally going to start. The football world has been stunned. The mighty Moroccans with Ziyech, with Hakimi, with an amazing coach in Walid Regragi, have downed the mighty Belgians 2-0 in Qatar. That puts them at the top of their group with four points. Did anybody see this coming? Well, Zane, I'd like to jump in there. No, there's the simple answer. Belgium are not a, uh, an, an easy team. Second best team in the world, according to FIFA rankings. But what we did see coming is a, a very spirited performance from Morocco. If you look at how they set up in their previous games, really good structure to the team, high intensity as well. And then also a combination of some fantastic footballers with ability. Um I, I, as you know, prior to the tournament, Morocco were my best African team I tipped uh, to do exceptionally well. Um, and that's also what Alistair has been telling us about Moroccan football and the progress uh, when he was at the Female World Cup and what he had seen in terms of facilities and academies. So um, didn't see it coming, but an unbelievable performance by Morocco. For, for me, this is the way I describe this Morocco team is I, I say that this is a Morocco are playing the exact type of football that England want to play. You know, we've all been very frustrated at the three lines for playing controlled football, not, you know, letting the players off the leash. And that's exactly what Morocco did today. You know, they, they have these two, you know, two of the best wingbacks in the tournament, in the, you know, arguably in the world in Hakimi and Mazraoui. But they don't deploy them as attacking wingbacks. Regagi keeps them keeps them back. They keep their shape. And I think that's what I love about this Moroccan team is, you know, you, they're one of the most talented teams at the World Cup in terms of the flair. The players have so much technical ability. But actually, we're playing, we're not playing club football here. This is an international tournament. And you don't win it by playing attacking, exciting football. You play it by playing pragmatic football. Regragi's come in after a terrific time at Widad Casablanca where he won the double, beating our boy Pizzo Mosimane in the final of the CAF Champions League, as well as winning the Batola Pro. And I think I think as well as they got to the semifinals of the Throne Cup, um, but he was denied the treble. But he but he's shown that once again, he can set up a team defensively. And that's the most important thing at a World Cup. And, you know, he's managed five games now since coming in, in I think, September to take over this team. And they've got five clean sheets. That is sensational. Like, it's unbelievable. And, you know, two of the teams they played in that time, Belgium and Croatia, and a huge World Cup ties, and, and they completely shut them down. And, and what I really like as well is they've not just shut down by playing super defensively or anything. They've shut the game down by controlling it. You know, against Croatia, 
we saw, you know, Croatia have Luka Modric and Mateo Kovacic and, you know, Brozovic, you know, arguably the best midfield at this tournament. It's three sensational players, you know, Belgium in their midfield. Yeah, they've got Onana, who's a lot more functional, but they have Kevin De Bruyne, who's, you know, again, arguably the best midfielder in the world. Both games, neither Modric or De Bruyne had a sniff of the ball because you saw that really functional midfield three, you know, Onahi, Amala and, and uh, um, Amrabat just shutting them down time and time again. And, you know, the difference between the Croatia game and this game is they just had that little bit of quality and they also had that little bit of luck with Courtois you kind of messing up from that from that first free kick. And that that's what you that's how you want to work up. That's how you go far in these tournaments is you organize defensively, you give the attacking players a decent platform, and you ride that little bit of luck that you're given and you take those chances. And that's what Morocco did today. And it's thoroughly deserved victory. They were the better team by a mile than Belgium. The Moroccan Federation, do you believe their decision now to fire the coach before the tournament and bring Walid in was the right one? Bit of a redundant question to ask, but I'll ask it anyway. Well, well, listen, the result today says yes. Previous results prior to the tournament say yes. Uh, but I just think that just look at who has come back into the national team as a result of the new management. Ziyech is back. Now, uh, I, I just think since he's been back, forget what he does going forward. Forget what he does from set pieces, but his work rate back. I was watching him, his work rate in that team. How many times did Morocco lose the ball and the work rates of high top quality players to get it back very quickly? This is what the managers brought to the team. He's got a high class player working at that level. Uh, the manager deserves all the, the, the credits, uh, especially in such a short period coming in. All right. Oh, go on, go on, Alistair. Well, and I think one thing Regragi has done really well is is one thing that has been highlighted at this tournament is I think Morocco are the team with the most amount of players not born in their country representing them. And you have a Moroccan team that's that's full of these kind of different camps of players. You know, a lot of them grew up in France. A lot of them, like Ziyech, grew up in, in the Netherlands. You know, like I, I watched his post-match interview and it wasn't with Moroccan TV and it wasn't in Arabic because he doesn't speak it. You know, he was in English and it had to be translated. And then you have this huge group of, of, of them coming from Morocco. So you have this, you know, these different groups within the team. And clearly Vahid Halazizic couldn't manage that. And that's why, you know, a lot of the guys from the Dutch side of things like Ziyech, like Mizrawi got kicked out, like, you know, not Harry, but, you know, he was also kicked out. But I think that's where we see that is it's not just about the tactics. It's not just about the football. It's also about the way in which he brings together this team. And like and like Courtney says, you know, anyone who's been watching Chelsea, you know, knows what a gifted player Ziyech is, but knows that, you know, what a maverick is he is as well. And that he doesn't always track back. He doesn't always work. And, you know, when you've got Hakimi on that wing as well, there's a sense that well, this actually could be a bit of a, a danger in terms of the work rate. But no, they worked so hard. And, you know, you saw even Hakimi coming off just to be rested for the next game because he picked up that injury and he seemed fine with it, you know, because they believe in what uh, Regragi is doing. And that is the biggest thing. The players really buy into it. Well, it's a group now you'd fancy Morocco to go through one more game against Canada and we could see World Cup finalist Croatia 
or the world number two team, Belgium, go out. What an exciting start to the World Cup. So my prediction for the World Cup on the African team to shine was Senegal. They, of course, losing their opener to the Netherlands, but bouncing back and showing their potential against Qatar winning and still in contention to get out the group. Obviously, a colossal game against Ecuador, um, who they'll play in their final game. Let's get your guys' uh, assessment and takeaways on on Senegal and, and their start to the tournament. Zane, I hate being this type of person that I'm going to be in what I'm going to say now because it sometimes is almost the easy stance to take. But I, I, I'm so frustrated with Senegal, right? I'm so frustrated. Um, and Mendy has carried his disastrous form from Chelsea into this World Cup. There's another frustrating point for me. A goalkeeper with so many good attributes just looks so out of sorts. And I think that is just filtering through to the Senegalese, the, the, the entire team. They almost look a shadow of themselves. I don't know what is wrong. Don't tell me about them beating Qatar. They're supposed to beat Qatar, right? They, they're supposed to go and run over Qatar. They should be uh, top of this group and flying. They're not. They look so vulnerable. Uh, I expect them to get knocked out. Uh, I expect them to be uh, on a plane home, not get out the group because uh, Mendy at the moment, he just can't even catch a flu. I'm, I'm really disappointed in their performance. <laughs> well, well, Courtney's been such a force of positivity there, um, Alistair. Let's see how you'll pick this up. Um, <laughs> I think I have a little more faith in Seto. I agree with Courtney, particularly that first game, Mendy had an absolute stinker and, and in many ways cost the team. And, and he, like, like you said, you know, he was such a force at the AFCON. He was such a force, you know, in, in previous games, you know, in, in World Cup qualifying and, and, and things. And, and we've seen that he's carried his club form into it. And, and what I would say is against Qatar, he showed a lot more. He made one or two excellent saves and, 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 and you saw that, that, that confidence went through the team. But but like Courtney, you know, I, I I it's hard now for Senegal because the pressure is on them to to beat Ecuador and and the one thing Senegal have shown that they they aren't great at is breaking down defensive blocks. They're not creative without Mane, and that that's the one area they like. You know, they're a defensively solid team, really really good functional midfield with 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 Mendy um, and Gay, but they really lack that creative spark. And you know, Ecuador are going to be happy to sit down and you know set up that low block break on on the counter but and ecuador are a really good team as well we saw that with their draw against the netherlands and their win against qatar i mean the one hope i have for senegal is that is that enter valencia doesn't look very fit and you know not to disparage him but fingers crossed from a senegalese perspective that he'll be injured um for ecuador because he's got all of their goals in fact i think he scored all of their world cup goals in the last two world cups they've been at so i think there's something to give senegal a bit of hope but I, for me, the, the key is starting their creative players because that's one thing they haven't done. And we saw the, the, the star boy, in my opinion, of this team is Iliman Ndiaye, who came off the bench, beat three or four players before grabbing the assist for, I think it was Bamba Jiang's goal, that final goal. And so that for me, that's what I want to see. I want to see a bit more boldness from, from Cissé because so far these games, he's been playing two very defensive midfielders and then either and a second forward in Jeju or another midfielder like Kiate. So I would love to see him play more creative players. But I like Courtney. You know, I I came in with a lot of hope for Senegal, and I haven't I haven't been sold on them so far. All right. Well, we've got Courtney's biggest disappointment of the tournament, Alistair. Let me ask you, who has your biggest disappointment of the tournament been? 
I'm 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 hoping Mr. Inquain France is not listening because because for me Cameroon are the ones who've disappointed. I think look for me coming into this tournament Ghana is, is the youngest team at this tournament. They're a work in progress. You know I I didn't expect anything from them. Um and actually I was surprised at how well they did against Portugal. Uh you know Tunisia not a vintage Tunisian team but and they've impressed me. Uh, you know particularly that game against Denmark and you know in spells against Canada. Are, not Canada, sorry, um, in their last game against Australia. But for me, the big disappointment is Cameroon against Switzerland. And part of the reason was because they had such a good start to that game. They looked so much better than the Switzerland team. You know, a Swiss team that lost to Ghana, you know, remember in, in the World Cup warm-up, they lost 2-0. And that wasn't, you know, obviously it's a friendly, so it's not a big game, but it wasn't a rotated side. It was a strong Switzerland side. And for me, Cameroon just looks like a team that isn't coached. I think that's the reality for me. They look like they're a team that doesn't have ideas, that they have some really good individuals, you know, excellent front three, Mbwemo, Chupomoting, um, and uh, Toko Kambi. You know, Vansal Abubakar can't even get into the team. That's how good an attack they have. But they look like they're a team that aren't organized. And, and, and for me, what showed that was... They played really well against Switzerland. They had all the energy. They were the better team. But when they conceded that goal, they, they lost their heads. They just started throwing the ball forward. They started attacking, you know, without any kind of cohesion. And for me, that's the sign of a team that isn't organized, that when when you've hit adversity, you don't have anything to fall back on. You know, you don't have coaching. You don't have that rigorous formation. And part of that is because Rigobert Song hasn't, you know, A, he hasn't coached at a very high level before. And B, he's only coached this team for a few months. And, and you know, they've made some big, tough decisions. Like, you know, we had talked in our preview podcast, players like Michael Ngaju and Ngajui not making the team. And we saw, you know, Nkulu struggle against Switzerland, to be frank. You know, that was, Mbola was his man. Um, and, you know, of course, narrative-wise, who's going to score? It's always going to be Briel Mbolo. Like like Francis said, you know, there's a lot of Cameroonians who are, you know, holding a bit of a grudge against Mbolo, who is Cameroonian, but is playing for Switzerland. And lo and behold, you know, the the colonizer scores against against Cameroon. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating. But I think for me, that's why I'm very disappointed with, with Cameroon so far. I was hoping that they would bring a lot more to the party. Samuel, it's all predicted we'd see a Cameroon and Morocco final. I think uh, they've been lazy, you're saying. <laughs> They've been lazy. They've been lazy. They've been poor. Let's tell the truth. Let's take the cat out the bag. They've been bloody lazy. They should have never given Rigobert Song that job. He's done nothing to deserve that job. Nothing. That is a big job. That's one of the biggest football jobs in Africa. He was a star of that team. An absolute shining light, but not to lead the team. No. Absolutely. So their poor recruitment has resulted in where they are. How is that team that is so powerful, that has so much talent, losing to Switzerland? It's just, it's, it's I, 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 you know, it, I, I struggled to understand that. You know, when I saw that result, Zane, because I was, unfortunately, the result was during working time for, for, for myself and I wasn't able to watch the entire game. I actually sat down and I was sad because I expected Cameroon to steamroll Switzerland and really put a marker down, you know, put a marker down for the World Cup. That, you know what? We're quarterfinalists. Yeah, we are. Bare minimum. They're going home, Zay. They, Cameroon are going home. They might as well be at the airport now with their bags waiting to be picked up because they are going to lose 3 or 4-0 against Brazil. Because they're going to lose their heads. Someone's going to get sent off. 
because they're just not going to be disciplined enough. So, you know, a terrible decision to give that man the job. I think I think I would agree with Courtney. I think the decision did baffle me. And, and I think, you know, we, we see where the African team, you know, it's a brilliant stat that, you know, this is the first tournament that all of the African teams coming are coached by Africans. And I think that's something that we should highlight and something that's actually really important. But I think let's look at who internationally have been the best managers who are African of their countries. One, Jamal Bamadi with Algeria, you know, put together one of the best AFCON sides we've seen in recent times, the Algeria team in 2019. And, and two, you know, I would say that the second one is Walid Regragi, who's coming through, right? Ali Cisse has done terrifically at Senegal, but let's be honest, he's done as expected as Senegal. With this golden generation, they needed to win an AFCON, and he's done that, and he's done well. But what I would say, what, what strikes me about Regragi and about Belmadi is they weren't just given the job straight off the bat, right? Both of them had to prove their stripes at club level. You know, for Belmadi, he, he coached in Qatar and Al-Duhail, and, and as well as he did a lot of work with the national team in Qatar, and similarly, Regragi managed, you know, Fusrabat, he managed Al-Dahail in Qatar, and then he took on the Widad job. And to be honest, I don't think most Moroccans a year ago would have expected him to be the Morocco manager. I think most of them said he's a future manager, but he needs to manage Widad for another two or three years, then he'll get the Morocco job. The federation decided that they didn't like Vahid, you know, they wanted to pull the trigger, and so he got there early. But I think that's, I agree with Courtney, that the decision to bring in Rigobert song really confuses me. And look, we have to judge him on what he's done so far. And what he's done is he's gotten through uh, a, a tie to, to get to the World Cup against Algeria, probably the most difficult country to get past in terms of World Cup qualifying. You know, they hadn't lost in 40 years at the, I think it was at the Stadoran uh, in, in Algeria, you know, and even though they had a terrible AFCON, they still have one of the best teams and, and one of the best managers in Africa. But, you know, so he did that. But then since then, you know, they lost to Uzbekistan in, in World Cup warmups. And then we've seen this against Switzerland. And again, for me, it feels like a team is not coached. Um, and, you know, Samuel Eto'o has gotten a lot of plaudits since coming into the Cameroon team for professionalizing a lot of things, you know, increasing the pay of local players, improving the local league, as well as the women's side of the game. He's gotten a lot of plaudits. And we want to see that actually he is doing the right thing, making the right decisions, because there is a lot of pressure on him because Rigobert Song is, you know, obviously a good friend of his. And we, we know we don't want this to be a case of a, of a FA president giving jobs to friends. But, you know, for me, Rigobert Song has to prove himself and he's going to have to prove himself quickly because, you know, on one hand for him, he got lucky in terms of he got the given the job right before World Cup. But on the other hand, that means there's so much more pressure. And if he gets this wrong, you know, it's hard to justify giving him the time to go into the next AFCON because he, he hasn't been able to show that quick turnaround that Sayer or Greggy has. Uh, I, I, you know, Alistair, I think you articulated that so well. I, I, I just think the way you've you've put that in a bottle, we could sell it because it's, it's, it's well put. <laughs> but what I will say is, let's now see, because here is Cameroon's first, no, let me not use that. Here is Cameroon's one of many difficult decisions to be made because I'm saying to you now they are going to go home soon they are not going to be coming out that group so you can chisel that in stone somewhere they are going home number one he has to fire him he has to fire him there is no way this manager can have that generation of player and the team performs so bad you you must remember Strong AFCON, strong AFCON. The youth, absolutely everything is in 
the advantage of Cameroon. How do they perform so badly? And if you look at the Switzerland midfield, my goodness, the slowness, the age of the midfield, Jacques in there. For, how does Cameroon not blow this, this team away? I don't know. I don't know. That's why I say now with all the good things that Samuel Eto'o has put together, and I'm saying really good things, you know. One of the things that I also enjoyed seeing the other day is Samuel Eto'o, the team was training, and he was training in the background as well, had his boots on. You know, the man has really taken to that job, but also made himself one of the players. He's one of them. He's not the president sitting in the, the ivory tower looking down on his players. No, he is a player that is now the president. But now he, don't, he doesn't have a manager. He does not have a manager. All right. The Taranga Lions bounce back. The Domitable Lions are down and almost out. Yeah. RIP. What do you gentlemen say about Tunisia and their chances at this tournament? Tunisia, they blew it with this game against Australia. They were so good against Denmark. So good. Like, they pressed them. You know, I think one of the patterns of this tournament that we've seen is that the teams that have caused the upsets have not been the teams that have parked the bus, right? It's been the teams that have taken the game to the bigger teams. You know, Japan, Saudi Arabia with that ridiculous high line and they're pressing. And Tunisia was similar. They pressed, they were aggressive, they were solid. And, you know, really, really, I wasn't expecting that much, to be honest. I was expecting a much more negative performance. But particularly like Laiduni was fantastic. And they showed that they had the pace as well in transition, and, and they got a very credible draw credible draw against Denmark. One, and to be honest, that game could have gone either way. I think Tunisia had a couple of penalty shouts, came really close through Jabali. You know, uh, um, Schmeichel made one of the saves of the tournament. But equally, Cornelius should have put away that tapping at the, at the back post. But then it was this game against Australia. That first half was dire. They were so bad. They just, they, they looked like they didn't know how to play football. Um, and they were dreadful. And then Australia scored a brilliant goal. You know, that header was fantastic um but then tunisia just lost it they, they couldn't press they couldn't do anything in the first half second half so much better so much more improved but they just couldn't score and you know that's that's their tournament gone for me they have to beat france now and you know <laughs> that is the most difficult game in world football right now is, is beating the champions france who look like they're you know back to their scintillating best and so for me tunisia blew it if they had gotten that win against australia you know, they might not even need a win against France. They, you know, when they could play for that draw, now they have to, they have to try and win and that'll play straight into France's hands. So it's, ah, oh, it's frustrating. It, it really is because they had, they had it in their hands. They had a brilliant chance. Zainab, I'm telling you, someone's going to send a posting and saying, this guy's trying to be uh, Simon Cowell. Someone's going to send a posting. I'm telling you, saying, because I, I, I'm just going to go to that Australia the Australia game, and I'm going to go to the first 45 minutes. You know, you take years to get to the World Cup. Years to get to the World Cup. A lot of things need to be put into place. You get there, and then you put a performance in like that. You stink out the first half. I feel sorry for the supporters in their ground for that first half. I really do. I'm telling you, Zane. They should be giving money back to those people. That's how bad the game was, first off. It was terrible. How on earth can you... you it just made me it just made me once again just so sad it was poor it was poor if it was not for the excellent goal by the Australian I can't remember his name Alistair I don't know if you can my apologies Mitchell Duke a lovely a lovely header I I I I would have switched off 
because Tunisia well, gave me no hope. I, I was going to go, Courtney. Well, for not knowing his name, you you should give the audience their money back um, for listening to the podcast. <laughs> well, that's all we, know, that's all we pay you for. <laughs> pay you all the. Contract. That's why you have that big. That's why you have that big contract. Yeah, Courtney, yeah, on the big money here. It's shameful. <laughs> Listen, rightfully so. And you know why I forgot his name? Because I almost forgot that game. That's how boring Tunisia almost put me to bed. I'm telling you, you wait so long to get to the World Cup, and then you stink the place out in an important game. Go and kill yourself and get the win, man. Get the draw, get the points. How on earth? I don't know. You know what Tunisia needs, Zane? I'll tell you what Tunisia needs. They need a Rassi Rasmus with them. That's what they need. They have There's no There's a lot of people out there who don't know who Rassi Rasmus is, the South African rugby coach, World Cup winner. Director. Yeah, go on. Director, sorry, you're right. Director of coaching. They need a siege mentality. They need that. They need that siege mentality that we were speaking about earlier. They didn't have it, same. They basically just waited like Anthony Joshua with a knockout punch against Usyk. It, it, it was just, oh, man, Tunisia, please, man, come on. All right, we've got rugby, we've got boxing, and we haven't even got to Ghana yet. So let's move us there. Um, we know that uh, there is a FIFA um, group that sit together. Um, and former um, Nigerian international Sunday Olisha is part of FIFA's TSG. Um, and he had a press conference earlier um, in the week said that the Ronaldo penalty against Ghana was genius. To use his exact quote, this is what a Sunday said. He went, the Ronaldo penalty, people can say what they want about him, but the smartness to wait for that second to touch the ball, continue his leg, and then get the contact, that is total genius. Let's give strikers the compliment for getting smarter. VAR is also a major reason why there are more penalties happening. Referees can look at it three or four times. This was obviously in reference to the penalty uh, that Ronaldo got and eventually resulted in, in, in Portugal beating Ghana in uh, their, their, their World Cup opener. Um, we know that the Ghana coach, Otto Addo, was really unhappy with that penalty. He's very critical of the referee for giving it. Gentlemen, were Ghana hard done by or is this uh, Ghanaian team just not up to, up to muster? Alistair, please let me come in and start here. Zane, I'd like to ask you a question. Are the Ghanaians unhappy with a penalty decision? It's not the That's first time. <laughs> because I'll tell you, there was a country that they cheated with a penalty decision to get to where they currently are at this moment in time. Ghana won a penalty against South Africa, which was a disgrace of a penalty. A disgrace. That player that won that penalty, I hope he's carrying the bag for their loss against Portugal. I could not care. I could not care. Well, I, yeah. And you know, after after the game, Zane, I was watching the Ghanaians, how unhappy they were. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, so when we were unhappy when your player died, you, you didn't say anything. The manager didn't say anything as well. All of a sudden, he's clever. He now can pick out a player diving, yet he couldn't pick out his player diving to, to not allow South Africa to go to the World Cup. It's amazing how these people all of a sudden just become masters of futuristic decisions. I don't care what happened with them. I'm happy they will be going home. They cheated South Africa out of going to the World Cup because of a penalty decision. So I'm sorry, I have no sympathy for them. Well, I guess the way you view penalties is the lens you have. And Courtney certainly has one of a one-eyed South African fan, although in many ways I um, 
feel the same about that penalty in the qualification process. But Alistair, be the voice of reason and take emotion out of it. What do you think? Um, I, 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 I think <laughs> I, I, I agree with Courtney in terms of that. The the how Ghana even got here was shameful because South Africa, you know, and not you know not to say South Africa are a good side because I don't think they deserve to get through qualifying either, but they very much did not deserve to lose that game against Ghana. Uh, and that was shameful. But this one I thought was it was so poor, it was so frustrating. And I think, you know, both can be true in that all they say is right. You know, Ronaldo played it well, he did his job, you know, drawing the tackle. But for me, that was never a pen, man. Never a pen. He got the ball. Like there's hardly any contact. For me, that's never a pen. I I was so frustrated. And now look, like that doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, I think Ghana were, you know, bar a couple attacks not very good they were opened up far too easily again similar to Cameroon you know once the game got opened up they couldn't close that they couldn't put a cap on it they couldn't slow down the game they couldn't defend anymore and again it's another sign of a team that hasn't had time to be coached Um, but you know again like I said earlier in the pod Ghana you know this for me what I want to see from them is you know a team that is looking to build on itself playing those young guys I'll be honest I'm sick and tired of seeing Jordan and and Andre Ayu and I, I'll be honest I've got to say Andre Ayu scoring is the worst thing for this Ghana type team because look I love Andre Ayu I think he's a legend for Ghana I rate him a lot higher than most than a lot of Ghanaians but his time is done he 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 offered nothing in that game you know he didn't move he didn't come to come to feet you know at least Inaki Williams didn't have a great game but he was moving he was trying to stretch the portuguese attack and so from our defense, sorry, um, for me, Andre has to has to start on the bench because for me, what he is, is he's a similar player to Ronaldo now in the box. He's great. He's Ghana's best finisher. He's, you know, their, their best, their most clutch player. And and so for me, that's someone who needs to come on in the 70th minute to change a game. But for me, it, it's time to move over and give give some of these young guys a, a real shot. At, at you know at playing you know we saw how how good Bukhari was when he came on you know Barnier was really good in in the World Cup warmups you know you know Kamaldin Sulimana hasn't been you know still trying to get fit but for me what I love in these next two games is look you've played the big team in Portugal let's be honest I don't think Ghana are going to get out of this group but if they are they have to be brave they have to and for me that means not playing Jordan or Andre Ayew or at least not starting them playing your youngsters playing the attacking football you know, being more aggressive than they were because they have a good defense. They have a good team. They have a young team and they need to use that like the likes of Canada and the US who have shown that with a young team that isn't as talented or as experienced as some of these big teams, you can still go to toe-to-toe to them because you have the energy. Um, so for me, I want to see a bit more from them um, because I don't think they've been great. But look, again, for me, Ghana coming to this tournament, the team I had the least expectations for, they're here to learn. They're here to grow. For them, 2026 is the World Cup, which they'll be looking to hit top form. Um, so I'm, you know, hoping for a lot better, but I'm not expecting too much. Zain, I'd also just like to add to it um, something that we need to make a highlight, Jan. Alice had touched on it a bit there, is the recruitment. Now, the work that's been done behind the scenes to get some of these plays into that, that Ghanaian team is, is unbelievable. Like, I couldn't understand how they got Lamptey there. You know, that is such a good move to get Lamptey in, Inaki Williams. You know, so you can see that the 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 presence of... Um, please, Zane, remind me the gentleman um, that he was on our podcast before. I, I'm so sad that I can't remember him. Um, Are you talking about um, Chris Hutton? Mr. Chris Hutton himself. He's going to be very upset with me. 
Uh, because some Connors I'm director his, of football. <laughs> yes, Connors director of football and his second friend in craze, uh, Essex. Um, yeah, his work he's done behind the scenes. Because Lamptey, you know what, could have gone into the England national team at right back. That's how good he is. An unbelievable player. So to almost recruit him to get to the, the Ghanaian national team. Because Lamptey is young enough. And with the injuries England had, Lamptey would have been at the World Cup for England. Not just because of injuries, because he's also good enough to play his thing, you know. So Chris Hutton deserves a huge amount of credit for what he's done for the Ghana national team. And I don't know if you can recall this. Uh, our, our very own Francis said he didn't go to Ghana. He actually went there on holiday and ended up with a job, you know. So well Best kind of holiday. What, Best kind yeah, of holiday. Yeah, well, well done to what he's done in the background in order to give the coach sure. a, a prepared team. For not now, for 2026, he's done exceptionally well. Sure. Well, listen, we've run our rule on the tournament. We've had a fantastic look at all the African teams. Um, we certainly hope all the best for the teams as they enter the final round of football. We'll obviously wrap up their performances. Tunisia, Ghana, Morocco, Cameroon and Senegal. You'll get all your information and all the analysis and all the news from us. Courtney and Alistair, pleasure having you on this podcast to chew the fat. And for those of you out there who are listening, and if you have thoughts, why don't you tweet us at OTW underscore podcast. You can find us on Instagram at the same handle. And of course, on YouTube and Facebook, just search for the On The Whistle podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear who you think are the African teams that can make it to the knockouts at this stage. I think we're confident about Morocco. I have hopes that Senegal will make it through. In fact, I'm going to predict now that Senegal will make it too and we'll have two in the knockout rounds. It's been a pleasure as always around Africa's biggest pride. I wish you gentlemen well. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.